Sustainability Unwrapped, a conversational podcast about responsibility, ethics, inequalities, climate change, and other challenges of our times, where science needs practice to think about our world and how to make our society more sustainable one podcast at a time. Hello and welcome everybody to this um, Sustainability Unwrapped podcast episode. Um, Today our topic is um, sustainable water governance, a very broad topic which has many, many perspectives to it. And um, uh, recently, uh, especially in in many media outlets, there has been a a very strong and kind of sensational narratives about the the global water crisis. Um, It talks uh, a lot about the kind of uh, scarcity of water at a global scale, water stress and, and other types of very physical material phenomena related to, to lack of water. Uh, in today's episode, we, we want to uh, provide a little bit different perspectives to this uh, mainstream narrative and we want to uh, look at it from a bit more critical uh, perspectives in a sense that we want to question the narrative that there is very little water on this on this planet. It is statistically measured that it's around less than one percent of um, this planet's uh, water resources that are actually in in the form that can be used for for drinking purposes, agricultural or industrial uses. The rest of the water is is um, is in saline forms or it's uh, stored in glaciers or in other forms. But our, our starting point is, is that this so-called water crisis is more about uneven distribution of water and, and the lack of access which is provided for people to, to, to have water available. In other words, we are more focused on the kind of water governance mechanisms that are used for distributing water. And um, today with me, I'm happy to have two, two fascinating guests. We have uh, Jessica Buds, who is an associate professor in geography and international development at the University of East Anglia in the United Kingdom. And uh, her research has examined the relationship between economic change, environmental governance and processes of development with a special focus on water sector in Latin America. As the second guest, we have here Mira Kakonen, who is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Tampere University Institute for Advanced Study. And her research on the political ecologies, environmental governments, governance and infrastructural politics around the Mekong region. But we will hear more about both of their research uh, during our our discussion, and um, my name is Linda Anna Tesfaye, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher at Hanken School of Economics at the Center for Corporate uh, Responsibility, and my research has focused on the small scale technologies, innovations, and drinking water governance in India. So I mentioned these narratives of water challenges and water crises. Um, We often hear that climate change is mobilized as a cause for water scarcity. Mm, How is climate change connected um, with your research, Jessica? 
Thank you, Linda. In relation to climate change, the dominant narrative is that climate change is responsible for the main changes and in particular scarcity uh, of water around the globe. And while there's, of course, some truth um, in this, what tends to to get neglected um, in this narrative is the role that human uses play um, in making resources scarce, um, especially for some social groups. So some of my work has looked at the expansion of major industries in some Latin American countries, such as the mining sector in Peru and the agriculture industry in Chile, and how they have caused um, much more extraction of water um, that's caused scarcity, which is completely independent of climate change. I think uh, Jessica was, was putting it very, very, very nicely that it's I've, I've also had a very similar um uh, observation or, or or view that that often of course it's true that that uh, climate change uh, effects they materialize mostly through water so there's either too much water as in floods or too little water and as in droughts but uh, but but often these floods and droughts are are not only kind of climate <laughs> climate events but there are many decisions have been done in in either prior or there are ongoing decisions related to to how water is being uh, controlled and 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 governed and and often there are many um these ways of controlling water are often taking very infrastructural forms. So in, in many cases, these uh, floods or droughts are, are not only like climate events, but they are also kind of infrastructural <laughs> events because they are mediated through through decisions uh, on how, how, we, how we govern and, and control water. And... Uh, and I've I've also noticed some somewhat that sometimes uh, the climate frames can be also problematic in the sense that often cli- climate is kind of uh, climate change is approached as a kind of external uh, shock, and and when uh, when attention is not paid so much to how people are are made vulnerable differentially or how vulnerability is differentiated. So then also these kind of climate responses um, often overlook these uh, these different patterns of vulnerability and how, how, for example, certain water infrastructures as well may may make maybe some secure, but but others in, more insecure. So, so there is, um, you know, in a way, this, this, uh, the ways climate is is made governable. In a way, it's 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 often very infrastructural, and it has created space for, for large scale uh, water infrastructure, uh, in terms of large dams and in terms of large scale irrigation structures, and not all of them, of course, are. Uh, are problematic, but some of them may, um, in a way, interplay with climate change in in problematic uh, ways, creating also new vulnerability. This kind of linkage between climate and water is, of course, um, hydropower and and the ways how we expect that we can, in a way, replace our fossil fuel uh, energy with renewable energy. And, and currently, 80% of renewable energy is produced by hydropower. And uh, there are estimates that, that the hydropower capacity is, is going to be doubling or I- increased even by 70% in, in, in the next uh, couple of decades. 
And of course, this has huge implications in uh, in riverine environments. And um, already rivers in the world, it's almost like 50% of the river volume is, is affected by 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 dams, but this this figure will be <laughs> increased even up to ninety percent. So it's it's a huge, huge change in 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 how we relate with with rivers and uh, and and there are three kind of hotspot areas, especially Amazon and Congo and Mekong, which are also uh, these riverine environments with, with one of the largest inland fisheries in the world, for example. And and one of the key problem with, with the dams is that, that they they affect this uh, or they are very detrimental to, precisely to fisheries and, and also to the biodiversity. So we have here a, a, a conflict almost between climate objectives and biodiversity objectives uh, with, with hydropower. And, and as I was mentioning, so Mekong region is, is one of the regions um, where hydropower is, is now built very uh, intensively. And that's the region where I have been doing my work. And, um, and in, in the 90s, Mekong was still one of the least uh, built uh, major rivers uh, in in the world, Mekong is the eighth largest river in uh, in the world. Uh, but now there are uh, around two hundred large dams at different stages of of development. Some of them planned, uh, built or already, and some of them still planned. But um, this is uh, this is really s- causing major changes in in the in the hydroecologies and and. Uh, and also in the livelihoods, there are millions of people dependent on fish, uh, who are uh, engaged in in, fi- in fishing, and some of them full time, some of part time artisan fishers, and and um, so as I was saying, so Mekong is one of the richest inland fisheries in the world. It's al- also one of the richest rice agriculture areas, and and this this damming of of Mekong through ma- mainstream and tributary dams, so it 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 has really huge livelihood um, livelihoods and food security implications in the region so so this is one one example and um, and the ways how the dams are are being justified then are, are very much uh, through climate change arguments but we can go then later maybe into more details I guess I, I, I think if I understood like what uh, Jessica what you have worked on, Earlier, I mean, there there is very interesting case in in this that how how droughts and floods that they are partly, of course, they can be augmented and they will be augmented through climate change. But then often there are other other things that actually are also contributing to floods and droughts. So I, I think the the examples from the Andean Andean region and, and rivers in there are are quite uh, they they illustrate quite nicely how. How water scarcity actually is is often produced. Also, it's not only a matter of climate change, but many other things as well. Yes, I think I think the Andean case is quite important because the economies in South America are very dependent on export markets and, to a large extent, on natural commodities. Um, so things like metals, um, agricultural produce, timber. 
um, etc. And all of those industries require large amounts of water. But because it's also the Andean region, where obviously you have the Andes mountains and glaciers, the narrative of climate change is, is very strong because of the impact on glacier melt. So that tends to dominate the the analysis of, you know, why there's water scarcity. And in, in Chile, for example, where I've worked for many years, um, there's a phenomenon since around 2010 that's referred to as the mega drought, where water scarcity has affected the whole country or most of the country um, with serious effects for industries, but also for local populations accessing um, drinking water. And of course, what's really dominant in this narrative is, is climate change and its effects on the Andes. Um, but that totally ignores the role of some of these major industries that are producing Chile's um, and other countries' key export commodities in worsening that situation. And to the extent that I would say that those industries are possibly more responsible for um, the production of scarcity than 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 climate change as kind of a weather, uh, as a climatic phenomenon. And then the other side of it, so I've talked there a little bit about the causes of water scarcity um, in South American countries. But then the other side of it is that the same narrative very much dominates the, the responses to perceived water scarcity. So if I just give one example from northern Chile, um, of which much is covered by the Atacama Desert, which is one of the most arid places on Earth, one of the key responses to climate change is the construction of a series of desalination plants along the coast, where the idea is to take water from the sea and, and to purify that into um, water that can be used for industry, but also drinking water, um, and which has the advantage of being independent of precipitation uh, and using abundant water from the sea. Um, but these desalination plants, while they solve the problem of water scarcity in the short term by producing, by generating more water using seawater, on the one hand, they have their own environmental impacts, so heavy energy use and um, putting saline solution back into the sea from the plant. But they also don't solve, they don't address the causes of scarcity and they don't solve those causes over the long term. They just um, solve the problem in the short term and potentially actually create more demand for the water that the desalination plants are producing so that in the future, the country becomes entirely reliant on that extra water from desalination plant and potentially... Uh, makes the case for even more desalination plants. So how we, when we're talking about sustainable water governance and water crisis and water scarcity, it's important to really reflect on the causes, the dynamics behind that scarcity, but also how that those kinds of narratives configure solutions down particular routes and in particular technological solutions. Um, yeah, so... Uh, you were talking about the, the ways of producing more water through these desalination plants. Um, do you think the answer would be then to um, save water instead of produce more water? Water conservation is um, a very dominant um, response to 
um, water management and the whole idea of sustainable water management um, and governance, but it also has its limitations. Um, primarily because while some actors or uh, while some stakeholders or sectors can save water, sometimes that only serves to uh, save water that can be used for other sectors. Um, so a good example um, is modern irrigation technology. Um, so drip feed or micro spray systems, they're very much favoured because they're perceived to use less water and use the water very efficiently and direct the water directly to, to the plants um, in ways that more traditional irrigation methods don't do. And so in a way, this saves water, but often it liberates that same water to be used um, by other irrigators or to just expand the the agricultural area. So it, in the long run, it doesn't necessarily save water. It just uses water more efficiently. So whether that's a contribution to more sustainable water governance is, is quite debatable, I would say. Yeah, so... Um, I was actually reflecting on some of my work from the state of Gujarat, India, and the city of Ahmedabad, where small-scale desalination water filters, yeah, they are not plants in this case, but filters um, are used at the household level, uh, catering for the needs of mainly middle and higher income groups. And, and these filters make it possible then to access good quality drinking water and um, they are because yeah they are supposed to uh, desalinate the tap water which is then typically a mix of saline groundwater and surface water originating from the Narmada river so yeah the the desalination of, of seawater and saline groundwater especially in coastal areas is in indeed becoming a rather popularized technological solution to, to water governance issues um, globally. And yeah, in the case of the state of Gujarat in India, although some of the groundwater is, is actually naturally saline due to its location by the coast, it's the extraction of groundwater for main industrial and agricultural uses, for example, salt production and then various forms of agriculture and textile industry also, that is um, worsening actually the seawater intrusion into the groundwater. And this makes the desalination more and more attractive solution, which then again comes with its own problems as Jessica mentioned earlier. And also as another issue related to this, so when the groundwater is becoming saline, um, there is more surface water, uh, especially for the urban areas required from rivers and other sources. And in the case of Ahmedabad and Gujarat, um, it's the case of the Narmada River, very controversial um, case actually, uh, because the... Um, yeah, because the issue of not having drinking water has also then contributed and legitimized the construction of dams along 
the river and, and currently the water is being channeled to four different states in, in India. So as, as Jessica nicely put it, the, the water filters at the household level, they are they don't really address the they are not long-term solutions to the causes of poor quality of drinking water, but rather there are several infrastructure and political decisions which are in this case also shaping the scarcity of drinking water and, and the narratives around it. I mean, we have nicely here different, quite different aspects of of water water governance that we are we are discussing. Of course, then we have like yours, the drinking drinking water <laughs> uh, governance, and and then the more kind of agricultural um, uses, and then then well, in my case, it's more on the river. I mean, how you govern river uh, river in waters in and uh, and through through dams, and well. I have some work also on the kind of more other uh, water control infrastructures, but but I think that there is that kind of re re resonance that we were discussing on 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 how the on how the climate frames can be some somewhat <laughs> problematic or diverting attentions on 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 key key uh, key issues that are making people vulnerable. To, to 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 climate or more general environmental vulnerability but uh, I was just because previously what I was saying so I was maybe not giving enough maybe back background in the sense that that large dams they were actually very contested in the in the 80s and and 90s and Narmada area so of course Narmada dam was one of the one of the key struggles that uh, that uh, that that also mobilized a lot of people and it was internationally very well known and there were a lot of processes that that culminated in the establishment of this world commission on dams and it's it's very inf influential report which kind of uh, synthesized the 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 the, the all all the understanding of the negative effects of large dams uh, and and it was saying giving like a lot of the, a lot of this 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 knowledge had been kind of like counter expertise to that date but then it became more mainstream understanding that that, that how huge implications dams had in terms of displacement and the resettlement schemes but but also in 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 other terms and later later i mean there the commission report stated that there has been that 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 time there had been 40 to 80 million people displaced and and later research confirmed that there 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 had been Five five hundred million there uh, people affected in downstream areas of, of dams negatively and and so on, but and and in the in the um, early two thousand it almost looked that the era of dams was coming to an end. I mean World Bank was was because of uh, uh, the there were the Narmada case and and there were others that World Bank had to step down. And uh, and it it looked at okay now <laughs> the era of dam is dams is gone and 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 the future for world rivers looked a bit bright, brighter and and for the river and people as well, but then more recently dam, dams have made a huge uh, <laughs> comeback and strong comeback and 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 it has to do partly with the climate frame so of course there is also the factor of of, of china being very intensively involved with, with its over overseas um 
overseas development uh, and and in investment work where hydropower uh, dams figure centrally. But but then in 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 terms of of World Bank, for example, the way it has come back to to dams, it's 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 through that it claims that it there is a flagship project precisely in the Mekong region in Laos. It's called uh, the Namten 2 project. And the World Bank has claimed that that it has learned from the past mistakes and it now knows how to make a dam sustainably. And, and it's precisely the sustainable dams that provide a solution to climate change, like precisely because it's renewable energy and 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 so on. And then I was mentioning that there there are these these claims also in terms of adaptations that dams could be used in multi-purpose ways to also also mitigate uh, floods and 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 so on. But what has also happened with this comeback of of large dams that they mainly have come I mean especially in the Mekong region now if I'm talking <laughs> focusing on that so so the main as I was saying earlier so then the the way how we uh, govern water is, is 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 key in how how climate effects materialize. So also how, the way how we govern dams is also quite key in how can they be used in 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 these kind of multi-purpose ways. And the the ways how these dams are built is through these concessionary uh, agreements, where the 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 the, the corporate uh, concessionaires they have a very high level of autonomy in how they operate the dam. For, for several decades, from 25 years to even up to 45 years, these, these concessionary periods are really long. And, and during that, that period, the corporate concessionaire has, has really the authority to, to decide over how the dam is operated. And of course, their rationale is to, to, to produce profits from selling hydroelectricity. And, and, and so, so actually, these dams are very unipurpose dams. <laughs> so it's highly contradictory that you have these, these at the same time, these, these climate justifications that these dams could be used in, in ways to, 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 uh, um, <clears throat> to, to adapt better to climate change, for example, and, and, and so on. Because because often the ways that that you operate the dams in terms of maximizing the electricity sales is is not the same as the as the way that you would you would uh, uh, operate them when you when you maximize flood uh, flood protection for example and um, and then the the cumulative impacts of all these dams. Are, are such as I was saying that there are huge uh, the, the detrimental effects on the fisheries and 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 and, and all these livelihood uh, things and and actually how they alter the the river flows and how they uh, affect the river uh, like hydroecology is that they actually temper the seasonal differences. Uh, so they, so it, it, in, it, in certain estimates, it can look that that uh, that dams are actually uh, doing away the the flood season, the rainy season, and and the floods. But what they actually are doing is that they they kind of they are taking away the benefits from the floods. That that uh, that, for example, the flood pulse ecology is very much behind the very rich inland uh, fisheries. And the flooded forests, ecology, and e everything. So the, the ways how if you temper this uh, the, the the normal uh, rainy season uh, flows or or so, so that's actually detrimental in terms of the flood related benefits. But at the same time, the dams are not 
really uh, able to 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 mitigate the uh, the uh, or or control the the exceptionally strong floods. And in these cases, often the the the, the dam operators they they need to resort into emergency releases, and those actually often exacerbate the de de mm. the devastating floods. So there is a. So, so the dam seemed to take away the flood benefits, but not, not, uh, not control the, the 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 harms from floods, and 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 actually they they even in some cases exacerbate the 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 the, the floods, and um, and at the same time also the the low 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 carbon uh, justification is problematic because especially in, in tropics and in the Mekong region. The, the, the dams that require la large reservoirs, so they are actually quite significant uh, uh, methane emitters, and some of the some of the largest reservoirs, it has been estimated that they 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 can even equal to fossil fuel or coal power plants. So so even even the even the low carbon <laughs> argument is 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 sometimes problematic, not with all of the dams, but with some of the dams. But even more problematic are are these claims that 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 dams could uh, help in in reducing flood uh, vulnerabilities and and climate vulnerabilities, while while in in fact they they often augment it. And the other thing is is actually how the how the dams how they block sediments. And the sediments are are key to the coastal areas and the, the, the Mekong Delta in, in Vietnam, for example. So now that the sea level is rising and then you have less sediments. So actually, then again, you have this kind of problem of, of dams actually be exacerbating the, 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 the climate vulnerability. And, and, and of course, the more dams are justified with in, in climate terms, it, it also often takes attention ways or, or, or marginalizes the other socio-environmental concerns related to dams. So this is a it's a very complex picture, but there are many ways in in which you can you can really question and, and why and why it's also important to open up these 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 climate related uh, claims and justifications. I think that's really interesting, Mira. I think what um, your example really shows is how so-called sustainable development is so uneven. So in the kind of sustainability narrative, there's this idea that the environment, the economy and social needs can be balanced quite neatly, that there is kind of this situation where we can balance all of these. And I think what you've shown is the trade-offs um, that occur within these relationships um, so that some aspects, for example, carbon, even though I know you critiqued that, can be kind of rendered sustainable, um, but in a way that has other effects um, that impact other sectors, such as the, the lack of benefits that floods um, traditionally bring in um, large river basins like the Mekong. So I think what's really important in the you know the whole debate around sustainable water governance is to focus on unevenness and the unevenness of the effects of of interventions that are designed to be sustainable um however that's framed and the effects of these interventions on different social groups and the unevenness and the inequalities um that that come into those relationships 
And from my work in um, Chile, looking again at the desalination plants, one of the effects of those desalination plants is that arguably, or I would argue, that they sustain unsustainable development because they provide the water that's necessary to sustain um, a heavy water-using export agriculture sector that arguably was never sustainable um, in the first place. So rather than examine water use in a country and how that's allocated between different industries and different social groups and look at how that could be reformed. Um, many kind of readings of sustainability tend to go straight for the technical solutions that have that have these wider effects of sustaining unsustainable situations or um, leaving groups who don't have access to water resources, um, poorer groups, especially in the global south, um, leaving them in the same situation as they were, as they have been before. I think that speaks to your work also, Linda. Yeah, I I really liked your phrasing of kind of sustaining unsustainable situations and practices and uh, reproducing inequalities. Um, in in the case of Gujarat and the and the city of Ahmedabad in particular, the lack of addressing this poor quality municipal drinking water has has normalized the idea that households should be, or they are being responsible for finding solutions, such as these desalinating water filters uh, from the uh, sphere of the private market. And although in some cases this might be feasible, in the case of Amdabad, uh, this type of inequalities, structural inequalities, um, uh, make it such that it's not everybody who can afford these types of water filters. They are rather expensive. And um, then again, since some higher income groups do have their water filters in place, they are as such uh, satisfied with their solutions to drinking water. This, this then weakens the, um, the collective and public pressure towards the government to address the issues of municipal water because the, the different groups are don't have any more the same, same interests. I guess we, we also came to this governing aspect here <laughs> that, um, that, uh, that why um, it's perhaps not enough to talk only about water management when you when you think that it's easily just a technical question of 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 allocating water and and and, and so on. But it's a, it's very much a, a governing question that has to do with power relations as well. And this is also why why, for example, this uh, in in the case of 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 large dams, for example. So it's a, it's a very illustrative example of very unequally distributed benefits and harms where mostly the groups benefiting from from the dams are 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 definitely not the ones uh, suffering the most from from the dams and 
and uh, of course this picture can and can differ in different contexts but especially in in areas where there is already high inequalities so so this kind of um, projects such, such as large dams so equally easily easily and often exacerbate this and and strengthen this in in uh, inequalities and this these type of uh, projects they they are kind of shaped through power relations but they also have have major power effects <laughs> like in in terms of of large scale uh, dams they really centralize the the decisions as as uh, Jessica Jessica Butz is, is quite has made a lot of work in this with this concept of hydrosocial relations and and so on and I've also been inspired through that but but dams are an ex- example how 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 decisions all, that affect how the social relations really get centralized, and uh, and they are they and and often the ones who are most, as I said, affected by dams, they have the least opportunities to to affect how the dam is built and operated, and um, and at the same time, it it has kind of like a dispossessionary effect almost on them because then they can't anymore. Uh, they they they. Uh, like for I mean it's it's also uh, in the case of of La- these these dams for example in in Laos so as they are are they are operated to to maximize electricity sales so what actually defines how the dams are operated are far away residents in urban centers for example in Bangkok and and so on and it has been even even studied that it's it's very much the because the dams in a way they 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 uh, they produce electricity to peak electricity demand so 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 often those peaks are in when air conditioning is used the most for example so so it's uh, so it's certain hours and certain seasons like the dry season and so on when 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 the the, the hydroelectricity is sold the most and um, so it's these peaks in demands in urban far away urban centers that actually then conditions how people can li- can live with 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 their riverine environments and what kind of uh, as uh, Jessica's in Jessica's words how, what kind of hydrosocial relations they can uh, they can uh, develop and uh, so so it's 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 again a kind of yes it illustrates the kind of unequal power relations that often are at, at stake with with um, with major water works and infrastructure. Yes, I certainly I certainly think that the focus of our discussions on sustainable water governance should be on not the water itself and what happens with the water and how we can kind of make that sustainable um, through policy shifts or, or technological means, but focusing more uh, neatly on how that water is allocated, how that water is used, and what kind of institutions and decision-making structures um, exist to mean that, in so many cases, water is diverted to the highest economic uses. So, as Mira was saying, the, the political economy that determines how much water is used where and in what ways and with what effects on people who are often the most marginalised social groups. So shifting the focus away from the water itself and onto those decision-making relations around water that should be at the heart of governance 
and focusing our discussions around sustainability on the nature of those decisions. I think that's really key. And also when we when we talk about river in environment, so it's also important not precisely this focus only on water or water quantities is very problematic because often river in I mean the fluvial in relationalities are, are so much more than just flows of water. So I've sometimes made the kind of comparison in my mind that it's it's almost like if you are talking about forest but you start talking about only about stocks of, of trees. So it's the same that if you talk about rivers and you only talk about about water quantities so you lose sight from all these different um, well the sediments the fisheries and and all the livelihoods built built around um, around uh, or around um, like these flood ecologies and and fisheries and and so on so so often also the certain um, approaches to to river uh, management, are are sometimes too determined by certain ways of producing knowledge, for example, that you have you use hydrological models and so on. And in international river basins, these are really key because you, of course you need to see if water is allocated equally between the states or and and so on. But but then at the same time, if you this uh, this this way of approaching rivers is is also problematic because then. Then, for example, fisheries is often something that that is then totally <laughs> lost from the picture. For example, and 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 so on. So, so the 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 very narrow water focus is is also problematic in in this way in in river river environments. But it's also true that it's it's also uh, uh, problematic in 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 not paying attention to to these different power relations which determine how we use water and how we control water and and, and what we do with water so in 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 both ways it's it's important but then sometimes uh, what what, what the, the decisions on on waterworks and water infrastructure can 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 trigger other other sorts of extractivisms and i guess in your context in 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 latin america i was supposed to i was thinking to ask about peru but you were talking more about chile but mm -hmm. i think there is in at least in amazon i know that there are several large dams that are only built to feed large mines yes mm -hmm. so there is also like a nexus of mining and hydropower mm -hmm which is then a kind of a complex of <laughs> extractivism. And then there is an issue in the Mekong region that often these dams are built in, in remote uh, upland areas and they, they open uh, paths because they come with new roads and, 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 and everything. So they can kind of trigger uh, logging. There's uh, like a lot of, lot of like intensified logging because of hydropower uh, development. And, and then there can be also new land speculation that gets triggered with all the new roads and and what 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 comes with the with the, with the hydropower and then there is the the issue of of resettlement that that's actually something that 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 is a key power effect in 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 the sense that that often the state authorities have quite a quite a significant role in how these resettlements are carried out and in, in Laos they, they actually have been used almost in to complement the, the, the state plans to consolidate 
these upland minority groups and also intensify the control over over these minority groups. So in some ways, there is also that kind of power effect that is not directly related to water per se, but it's related to, to, to this water, large water infrastructure projects that come with other elements like, like resettlement schemes, for example. I think the role of the political economy in determining water use, water allocation is something that's often really missed by the sustainability debates that kind of take a much more environmental approach as if water's completely disconnected um, from, you know, from economic life. I think that's really important. Really, really interesting discussions and 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 perspectives related to, to our topic of sustainable water governance today. Um, could you perhaps formulate some kind of key takeaways or some core messages um, around this topic now for the audience? I think my key takeaway would be the idea that Uh, sustainable water governance and attempts to foster sustainable water governance are often uneven, um, whereby you can have decisions or conditions that are sustainable in some respects or for some groups, but not necessarily for others. So I think approaching the idea that there can be some sort of sustainable situation for all in, in a harmonious way, I think we need to engage really critically with that idea. So perhaps the the principle of the Agenda 2030 of leaving no one behind is perhaps not fully realized in these discussions. Yes, I think I think it's I think these sorts of perspectives are based on the idea that you know there is a sustainable scenario that can hit um, environmental, social, and economic goals all at the same time and in in complete harmony. And I think in practice, I think as the cases, the examples that we've used um, today really show there can be some ways in which interventions can be sustainable or sustainable for some groups, but often at the expense um, of other groups. Thank you, Jessica. How about Mira? Any kind of summarizing points or key takeaways? Jessica summarized it, it it very 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 nicely, and I I guess I I would just also have said said something similar along the lines that that uh, of course uh, climate change is 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 uh, is really as as we start with, so it it really does materialize often through water, but it's precisely then water governance and 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 how we decide. How we use and control water, what is was what is what is really important, and it's getting more and more important. So it's it really requires more attention as well. And perhaps if something not only about water, but then <laughs> on 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 climate. So I would just say because of the my focus on hydropowers, I would just say perhaps that it's um, that I, I hope that that we could examine. Critically, this uh, this expe- expectation that that we just uh, solve the, the 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 climate crisis by by uh, uh, replacing fossil energy with renewable energy, because there are a lot of issues with renewable energy as well that you need to pay attention to, 
and and these implications that hydropower, for for example, have to biodiversity, to riverine environments, to riverine people and livelihoods and so on. So it's something that really deserves more discussion as well. Thank you both, Jessica and Mira, for your really, really, really insightful um, um, discussions today. And um, I want to thank you all, to listeners, for for joining today to listen on the very kind of high, very contested discourses on sustainable water governance and and uh, hydropower relations in in terms of um, energy production. So thank you all and wishing you all a nice day. Thank you.